Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And good evening and welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and, and it's session five, series six. I can't believe I'm saying that already. And uh, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Sue MacDonald. I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and also the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure, it's my great pleasure this evening. I always say that, but it always is, um, to be chairing this evening's session. And we're joined by the wonderful, two wonderful speakers. I'm really looking forward to hearing what they're going to say. Um, the first is uh, Professor Mary Steen, Professor of Nursing Midwifery and Health at Northumbria University, and Elizabeth Duff, Senior Policy um, Advisor at the NCT. Now, of course, what we always do to our guests is get them to come up with a little moment of the week. So I'm going to put you on the spot. First of all, Mary, I think, your moment of the week. Moment of the week, getting locked in uh, <laughs> in my new job wasn't it in the in my new department and not knowing the security number so that was the moment of my week (laughs) perhaps not the most positive moment but it might have been knowing you you probably found it very entertaining to problem solve I had to sort it out because I had to get out I didn't really want to stay here all night (laughs) no (laughs) that's a good one Mary thank you how about Elizabeth I think I'm going to say my moment of the week, we are only on Wednesday, it's just about to come because at about two minutes past eight when I'm finished here, I'm going off to the pub to see my daughter doing stand-up comedy. Wow. So um, this is uh, th- this is how postnatal care ends. You never stop being a parent, do you? So. <laughs> 30 fun. years later, you have to go out in the dark and the cold and laugh a lot. <laughs> I think the laughing a lot would be very good, very medicinal, very medicinal and very uh, uplifting for you. And I think that's fantastic. So we'll aim to finish at, at eight. Please. So those of you who are wanting to ask questions, get them in early if you can. Now, you know, I always start by just welcoming you and just reminding you that where we came from. And the Maternity and Midwifery Hour began with the pandemic because we wanted to really have an opportunity for midwives, for student midwives, for mums, for aspiring midwives to really get together and get information in sort of digestible form because you you didn't have and we haven't had as much access to -to face-to-face conferences and festivals. So we've been able to bring everyone together every week, which has been fantastic. We've had a bit of, of information, quite a bit of debate and discussion. And this means there's a massive, great archive of information and fantastic presentations. And this is supported by Matflix, who hold all the data and all the recordings. And if you want to access anything, it's free to access. You can get sort of box sets, so it's all organized, but you can also get singular uh, sessions. So you can do, if you're doing a project or you're doing an assignment for study or 
you're doing a bit of revalidation, it's a very good source of information. It's really up to date, up to the minute with some fantastic people that we've had. And you can share it. So if you listen tonight and you're inspired, please wait for your box set to come sometime at the end of the week, maybe early next week. Share it with your colleagues. Have, it, have, a, have a listen over coffee and have a discuss because that's the whole purpose of this. And at the same time, I'd just like to say a big thank you to the wonderful practicing midwife, to Sheila and Anna Byron, who also support the maternity hour. And Sheila and Anna will be coming along to the 23rd of February to look after the, the, the hour. So, and they're really looking forward to that, I know. So I want to say a big thank you to everyone in the maternity services tonight, everyone who's working so hard to support their colleagues and the mothers and babies and families. And, and it's a difficult time because we've still got the ends of COVID. I know it, it sometimes feels it's over, but it's still there. And still people are unwell and needing care and they're still unwell and meaning other people have to cover shifts. So thank you to everyone who's doing that in whatever setting you're in. Um, and also to say, to just to remind you, people are very tired. And I know that I was in the unit on Monday and people did look tired and it's stressful and we're all balancing and, and doing our usual juggling a million things at once. It's important to look after yourselves and there's lots and lots of resources available as ever. And in fact, tonight you've got a bumper crop of resources and references. So do access those and, and have a look at some of the things that will, might be helpful. One of my favourites, I always have this, I love this. This is from the Action for Happiness um, website and it's a little calendar for February. This is February and today, you, you each, each day you have something to do and today it's to thank someone and tell them they made a difference for you. And that each day you have a little thing to do and they're very positive and very affirmational. I don't know if that's a word, but that's what they are. So have a go at doing that. That's, there's, a, there's a reference on that, the reference list to that. Okay. Now, the other thing is, my, I just want to share my favorite tweet. And this is from Andrew Shannon. Many of you will know uh, Andrew, who's a, an obstetrician, OBE. And he just put a, a, a tweet on today, and I thought it was really nice because he said, 30 years ago, a midwife taught me that reassurance should go hand in hand with elucidating, I probably hasn't said the word correctly, risk when counselling. Last night, I was emailed and someone thanked me for reassuring her during an admission from 18 years ago. Small effort, big impact impact let's not forget how scary it must be and I think that's really important for, for us as midwives students to remember for the mothers and families that we're looking after and I know I'm hoping there's going to be a few mums and and families out there this evening as well listening in so welcome to you as well I almost forgot now I also need to to just highlight the other thing that's on our reading list I feel just like a proper teacher now is the um Chief Midwife Officer's Bulletin for January, February. It is packed. It is packed. There's about 11 pages of lots of updated information and really, really useful. So she's just reported that the stillbirth rate's been reduced by 25% over the last few, few um, couple of years, which is fantastic. There's lots of news on the situation regarding staff vaccination. I know the mandatory 
element was removed last week, but it's there's still things to think about. Um, and we're still using, obviously, in, in clinical settings, face coverings and masks and keeping up with, I think it's now a metre social distancing. We're meant to be encouraging women to have their boosters if they have had their first two vaccines. So remember that. Um, and there's a, a whole section on continuity of care, which is also being discussed a little on Twitter at the moment. And there's a really good section from Trixie Macquarie, who you'll remember, who was with us a few weeks back um, about the continuity of care and how it's progressing and, and what the, the sort of building blocks of that are. Really good, really useful. Also, if there's anyone green out there, and I don't mean Shrek, I mean, if you want to do something interesting with a, an ecological hat, hat on, um, there's also an opportunity for a clinical fellow scheme to support a greener NHS. How fab is that? So have a look at, you must, you must go and have a look at this bulletin, it's fantastic. There's also um, a, a report on student numbers. Student numbers are up and there's also leadership and management programs being made available for midwives in the service, which is fantastic. Uh, also, the other big thing is a report back from equity and equality work. And that's also really important for us to be aware of, especially with the sort of five times more issue. We need to know about this from all facets of what we do. OK, on to lighter things. It's this month, it's Boost Your Self-Esteem Month. So I think that's very important for us all to do. Give ourselves a little pat on the back or a Skinner sandwich. And that is give yourself something positive, do the negative, then the positive. So it's a proper sandwich that's being positive. Um, it's also apprenticeship week. So I'll say a big shout out for any apprentices checking in today. Hi to you. Um, it's sexual abuse and violence awareness week that's not quite as positive but you'll notice a lot of activities locally and nationally focusing on this and, and making people more aware of the issues like for example being aware of noticing if your children become withdrawn and that sort of thing so that's just a snippet to think about and also the ninth it's national toothache day now that sounds very negative as someone who doesn't like dental um, dentists very much well I like them but I don't like going to them I go <laughs> I just want to say that so the, but this is a day to think about preventing toothache so you get your checkup and also make sure that women that you're caring for pregnancy and childbearing and breastfeeding in particular know about their right to care and also about the facets of their treatment now the breastfeeding network has got a great fact sheet and again that's on our resource sheet so really useful so hopefully you've got some bedtime reading for, for everybody. So I'm going to move on swiftly to the main meat of this evening. Now, we, we've looked at over the last few weeks, we've looked at personalised care and then we looked at the little preterm baby cuddles last week, which was lovely. And we're now, now coming to postnatal care and we're saying, who cares? Do we care? We've got two fantastic speakers and for whom both of them are passionate about postnatal care. I know that very close to their hearts. And I just want to say we, we often as midwives take postnatal care for granted. Some people, midwives find it a bit boring. I always have found it lovely and, and exciting. A lot of things you can do with women and babies at this point. But for the new mother, it's a culmination of their pregnancy, childbirth. It's that, that's a real focus for them. And we kind of, 
all of ports say we kind of sometimes leave them to it and it can be a very difficult time and women may need a bit more additional support and a bit of nurturing and so does she get it that's a question for you so I'm going to introduce first the wonderful little Elizabeth Duff who's known to many of you I'm sure as the senior policy advisor at the NCT she's held roles all over the place actually but it's included the Royal College of Midwives the International Confederation of Midwives the Ireland Fay Trust which many of you will know about and now at the NCT very much very much with women and as a, women and families and she I love this she describes herself as an unconstructed 1970s feminist She's also a stakeholder on the Maternity Transformation Council, and she's going to ask tonight why postnatal has been neglected for so long and exploring blood, sweat and tears, mother's body fluids and patriarchal distaste for postnatal care. That's a wonderful heading. So welcome, Elizabeth. The screen is now yours. Thank you very much, Sue. And you've said a lot of very nice things about me and I'm also absolutely delighted to hear that you personally find doing postnatal care lovely and I do hope there's lots of midwives out there who feel the same. Uh, I'm not a midwife and I don't uh, ever do anything like frontline care but it always seems to me if you've cared for a woman through her pregnancy and, and let's hope mostly with continuity uh, so you've been looking after one person and suddenly there's two um, and, you know, that little baby's being created and you've been part of it. That sounds absolutely fantastic. And that's where I um, envy the midwives who are able to do that, especially if they're able to take the care right through. So I'm going to share my screen and show you some slides and um, start off with a story. Now, let's see if I can... I think I'm there. There's my title, which uh, you've already seen. Got a lot of words in it, you know, throw in a lot of words and let's see if that um, interests people. Um, I, I am going to tell you a story, but before I go on to other slides, uh, which is, is absolutely true, was um, told me by a friend about the time we were both having babies, which is um, a few decades ago now, but I think it probably will resonate with quite a few people still. Um, this happened a few days after she'd had her first baby, was home from hospital, still in that <clears throat> days of not being quite sure what was going on. And she said she woke in the night to a crying baby who was obviously hungry. She picked up the baby, she sat down on a chair, she started feeding. Um, she found that immediately her, her milk, fortunately, was coming in very well, um, but the breast that she wasn't feeding from started leaking, so she was already getting wetness down her front. Um, she was also aware that the baby, once uh, she'd started feeding, um, had a big wee and the nappy started leaking, so she could feel that dampness on her lap. She also realised um, that the, um, as is quite often, when you feed, the uterus contracts again. Um, so she'd lost a bit more blood herself, also all part of normality. 
She also found, which I think is is quite a common thing, as she was feeding, she had a little bit of a, a hot flush and found she was sweating. So she was absolutely covered in all sorts of bodily fluids, which she knew meant um, sometime soon, probably the next day, she'd have to do an awful lot of washing and hanging things out and changing things around. And um, the, the thought of it, she, she told me at the time, she felt like bursting into tears, but actually the thought of yet another fluid um, hitting both her and the baby was a bit too much. So she did try and hold the tears back. But this is what made me think about this theme for tonight. And I was wondering about um, how much we care about it, how much is normal, how much women need reassurance about what's happening to them. And whether all these bodily fluids are part of the reason for postnatal care not seeming to be very important um, to a lot of the medical profession, to some of the midwifery profession, uh, to managers and policymakers sometimes. So things to think about there. Let's go a little bit back in time. This is where... I'm trying to get to my next slide. And there we are. I've gone back nearly 200 years, um, found this etching, which is rather fascinating. I don't know how close you can see, but it's pretty um, clear what it shows, I hope. Um, okay. Is that... Sorry. Okay. I'm. Um, that's the slide I want to be looking at. Can people? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry if that's been a, a, a little glitch. Um, the, you can see here an etching, and it says clearly this is a woman lying in after childbirth, and the um, title is the uncleanliness of the mother after giving birth. Um, it refers to the Christian Bible. This is the Old Testament book of Leviticus, uh, where it clearly says a mother should be considered unclean for 40 days after giving birth to a boy and for 80 days after giving birth to a girl. Uh, well, um, we might have a view about the difference between those days of uncleanliness, but I'm not going to focus today on why there's such a difference between the birth of a boy and the birth of a girl. What interested me in looking at this was some of the themes. Uncleanliness, um, I guess, referring to these bodily fluids we've just talked about, the way that it all seems quite messy after the birth. Um, there's things to be cleaned up and mopped up. Uh, the mother is secluded. Um, she is, you can see, she's in a kind of a tent here or a special place or a house. And she's visited by women. There's children as well who may be her children or other people's children. But it is about uh, other women providing her with food and care. So... This seems to be um, a theme that is quite broadly recognised. And I want to acknowledge that I've um, look, found some notes from different faiths, which all pick up some things relevant to this. 
Um, I have put here, these notes may refer to past or present customs, not necessarily practiced by all. So please don't pick me up too much on things that people no longer do or don't do everywhere in the world. But these things have been done somewhere. And you'll see here there is talk of impurity and pollution. Again, the uncleanliness and, and reference um, most likely to bodily fluids. Um, women visiting the mother, um, a lovely phrase about a Jewish mother being in a special room and sitting in a decorated triangle box, which I'm very intrigued by and would love to see a picture of that. But it is about the woman being, the mother being special um, and, and in a special place. So a certain amount of seclusion. 40 days in uh, for um, Muslims and then a shaving of the child's head because of the vaginal birth um, uh, being considered unclean. Uh, and in Christianity, uh, a ceremony called the Churching of Women, which was originally about purification, um, mostly in Christianity now that is talked about as a blessing on the mother and baby rather than uh, anything to do with uncleanliness, but I think uh, originally that was probably coming from the same root of cleaning up and purification. So these themes of seclusion of um, mothers cared for by other women, but not being out in public um, and getting over that period of uncleanliness are of interest, I think, to what goes on around postnatal care. I just thought I would throw this in there. I expect is quite a familiar picture and indeed very similar ones. This is actually the Duchess of Cambridge after the birth of her first baby, Prince George. Um, and very similar scenes were seen and widely pictured after the births of Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis. She comes out of hospital, stands on the steps for a few minutes, wearing a designer dress, looking absolutely gorgeous. And the quote from one of the many pieces in the press about it, uh, commenting a lot on what she was wearing, who designed the dress, whether it um, is a, a nod or reference to a similar dress that the um, late Princess of Wales wore after Prince William was born. A lot of comment about the dress and how she looks and how wonderful it is. Uh, nothing there um, in about uncleanliness, seclusion, or bodily fluids. I think there's a lot of interest there about why postnatal care is sometimes um, ignored, neglected, felt to be just women's stuff, um, not really of interest to um, doctors, whether that's the patriarchy or not, but it, it might be. Um, I'm moving on a bit now to a slightly different theme, but I think although we've talked about seclusion, what we didn't want was the seclusion for parents that happened during the recent pandemic, which indeed is still going on. Um, this is, as many of you will know about, uh, new parents were isolated from all the people they might have seen and had help from in their very early days as parents. Um, the charity I work, work for, the NCT, had to drop all its face-to-face -face, uh, meetings, antenatal, postnatal, um, class reunions, getting together. All we could do was organize walk and talk groups where um, mums and babies could meet in the park. 
And I know that that was a lifeline to a lot of mums because it was the only time they could have that precious conversation with their peers, with women who are in exactly the same position with babies a few days old, a few weeks old. Again, a source of anxiety to a lot of women if they find the breastfeeding, if they're not getting the support they need and the breastfeeding is not going as they want. Um, breastfeed, breast milk coming in late can be a source of a lot of anxiety, although not necessarily meaning that um, that's going to mean they won't meet their final objectives. I'm moving on quickly. These are quotes from women from various sources, what happening about postnatal care during the pandemic. Feeling isolated, feeling abandoned, feeling not listened to, not supported. Um, one woman saying the system has completely failed me. Another one saying we've not seen anyone of all my friends. I was the only one that actually got a video call. Others didn't even get a phone call in 12 months. So that is a lot of lack of help um, and really worrying if people with first babies particularly were not getting that. I, this is really going back to the whole quality of postnatal care, and it's a slide I use quite often when I'm talking about it. Quality care absolutely has to be safe, effective and person-centred. And these are just three examples of how postnatal care often isn't. The majority of maternal deaths and a great deal of maternal morbidity happens postnatally. It's not very effective because we don't have the evidence for it. There is very little up-to-date good evidence for how postnatal care should be carried out to achieve the objective. And it's not person-centered. Every, um, every big survey of maternity care finds uh, postnatal care is the least satisfying for women. This is a quote from Embrace, um, Embrace UK, which looks at maternal deaths and maternal morbidity. And this is an excellent summary from Professor Marion Knight, who runs that um, agency. And you can see those highlighted words are about joined up care being essential, having responsibility for care being coordinated. Extremely important when we're looking at those women at high risk not to fall through the gaps and that heading of mind the gap is really really important. So I'm coming to an end now and I'm going to go back once more to saying about uh, postnatal care being called a Cinderella service and my phrase is always how we can get Cinderella into the palace which does happen to her in the fairy story. Indeed, right. sorry, sorry about that glitch. We're nearly at the end. So I just wanted to show this slide, picture of a lovely palace. That's where Cinderella in the story gets into and she gets her lovely dress. She goes to the ball, she marries her prince. Uh, she lives happily ever after and probably has a lot of babies, which is great. <laughs> but it doesn't always happen in our context of postnatal care. So looking at all the things that have gone wrong, really, with women who've received very, very fragmented care, some of whom have fallen through those gaps very tragically, um, and others have got through, but really suffering from um, 
feeling quite abandoned and neglected during that period, I feel what the service needs in this phase of the maternity journey is postnatal action. It needs more leadership. It needs more accountability. It needs continuity, if not of the actual person, of the service, of information and of management. And it absolutely, like every other part of maternity, needs equity for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. That's me looking Fabulous. forward to some questions. <laughs> Fabulous. So those of you who have got ready with the questions, um, what we'll try and do is after Mary's session, if we do do some questions for Elizabeth, because I know she has to go to her yeah. family issue, we can run over a few minutes. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being so patient and being so forbearing with it all. Very pleased to welcome Professor Mary Steen, Professor of Nursing, Midwifery and Health at uh, Northumbria University. She's just returned from Australia, so we've got a hot off the plane, practically. Mm. Um, she was also a professor there. She's a visiting professor at Chester, University of Port Harcourt in Nigeria and the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. She's worked at the ERCM. She's mm. been all over the place as Mary. Many of you will know Mary. And especially when she starts talking, you'll know Mary very well so welcome to you she's got huge interest in women's health always has as far as as long as I've known her and she's going to take us on a little bit of a journey and that's going to go into the past the present and the future so welcome Mary and the screen is yours and I hope it behaves itself thank you and thank you everyone that's taken the time to actually um come this um, evening um, in the UK, and I know there is some international as well. So thank you for actually attending. As you can see, uh, building on from what Elizabeth spoke about and Sue, postnatal care. But obviously, I've only got a short period of time, so we can only do a glimpse. So I'll start. Postnatal care then. Let's look at the concept of postnatal care. It's to assist a mother her baby and the family towards obtaining optimum health and well-being status. And I've put well-being status in because it's just as important as the health. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this discussion. So what does that mean, what we're doing? Well, women's bodies have to recover sufficiently to return to a non-pregnant status. And the baby is healthy and thriving, feeding well, and there is a developing secure attachment. So the definition, this does vary, but it's a period of time following birth which care and support is given. Um, I won't really go into too much of the history because Elizabeth has covered um, that, but usually in many cultures, it is around 40 days. However, it can take much longer. You only have to look at Deborah Bick's work, uh, Julie Ray when she's around, Carol Bradshaw, who, oh sorry, Bedwell, and they listened to women and looked, and they would say really about a year. And when you think about it, I've done a lot of service development projects about around maternal health and well-being, and particularly around musculoskeletal, which we haven't mentioned, the relaxing hormone. It can take a good six months, and we have to be aware of this when women complain of bad backs um, and, and issues. And I remember my midwifery mentor saying to me, Mary, 
nine months, the pregnancy. Why do we push women? And I think as a researcher, it's like a histogram. It does take that time to go back to non-pregnant status. Okay, then, so just quickly, historically, the rite of passage. Now, I want you to look not from, I know I'm in, we're back, I'm in the UK now, and yes, we'll look at it nationally, but I want you to have much more of an international lens around postnatal care. And postnatal care was and is a key strategy to reduce maternal and newborn mortality and morbidity. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that shortly. There are differences and commonalities within societies and cultures that we have to consider. But basically, I'm building on what Elizabeth was saying and what Sue picked up on. It's much around rest period, the nurturing of women. Food, they have mentioned food, and yes, foods that are encouraged and foods that are prohibited. There's a lot around food, social seclusion, and that's really like protective rituals and to prevent infections, and obviously around personal hygiene. But very importantly, the celebration of a new social status. And I was just thinking about this today. When I was educated and trained to be a midwife in the mid-80s, it was the joy of birth and afterwards and going to see them. Now I hear a lot of fear. And I was saying, how are we going to go back to that joy of birth? The emphasis as well is on avoiding ill health in later life. That is our public health role. And that is historically there. So what I have actually quoted and said before, and I've had many discussions with Sue Down about this, the importance of mothering the mother. Now you can see this slide here, and I'm using slides that women that I have actually been, it's been an honor to their birth or I've cared for them. And this is a home birth in South Australia. But look at the family around her. A sister is in the water with her in her bever. She is a shamanic midwife. And I had to actually look that up, I'll to say, with a spiritual approach. But look how the mother is being mothered. And that is the start of postnatal care. And she's giving kangaroo care, very importantly. And the young niece, I was thinking, oh, I think we've got a midwife um, there in future. So let's reflect on the past, learning the cues. This is me back in 1986. I know you'll be trying to work my age out now, but I was um, a student midwife, as you can see with my little hat on. And I didn't know this photograph was being taken. It was being taken by the father. This is where I was learning to be with woman, not doing to the woman, being with woman, very importantly. And look at that secure attachment that we're talking about. A nice, quiet, tranquil home setting. It was my first home birth. And I was there sharing this experience with the woman and the mother is there focusing on the baby and the babies is focusing on mum. And it is a beautiful moment there that was captured um, and, and not, neither of us actually knew. And we built up that trust and rapport through antenatal care, birth and then postnatally. So we will reflect on the present then. And I did say we would just go through a glimpse because the presentation is short. 
I mentioned maternal mortality and morbidity, and this does shock me. Remember through the international lens, lifetime risk of maternal death in well-developed industrialized countries, one in 4,000 versus one in 51 in countries that are classified as least developed. So that's in your low and middle resource countries. Yes, um, postnatal period, life-threatening conditions do occur. And this is the causes for a lot of these maternal deaths through hemorrhage, thromboembolism, infection, eclampsia. They are greater risks. But also in the Western world and the developing countries, yes, our mortality rates have gone down. However, our morbidity is there and has gone up. And we do have maternal mental health problems and we have had an increase in infections as well. It is noteworthy, though, when we're looking at postnatal care and we're saying today, tonight, who cares? Most maternal deaths occur in the first month following birth. And nearly half are within the first 24 hours. Then two thirds occur in that first week. It is vitally important that women around the world get care particularly in that first week following birth. And what is really um, important that many of these maternal deaths are preventable. And we'll go back to about women's place in society. We engaging and educating girls is vital to improve maternal health and well-being, particularly in low and middle resource countries. And then yes, education is is key. As they always say, you educate a woman, you educate a society. There's no bias there, of course. <laughs> so WHO in 2014 recommended then, because of the maternal mortality and morbidity rates, in low to middle resource countries, provide postnatal care in the first 24 hours. And that includes a clinical examination undertaken within the first hour of birth. Here in the high developed countries, we take that for granted. In many countries, this does not happen for many women, but it is now, it's recommended. If there has been a home birth, the first postnatal contact should be as early as possible. They also recommend extra contact in that first 24 to 48 hours is desirable. Sometimes we can't reach women. And yes, we do live in a digital world now in the 21st century. So mobile phone-based postnatal care contacts have been recommended. Also telehealth. And we know that we actually can do it. And I just got back from Australia. And if the women are in the outback or in the rural areas, telehealth sometimes um, has, will happen. But ideally, four postnatal contacts are recommended. And I've just been listening, obviously, to the examples that Elizabeth gave. And I know in the Sunday Times only this week, women have been there and it's been on Twitter that they've been left on a postnatal ward. Is there one midwife or two midwives that are working on that postnatal ward with how many women, how many babies? Even the lodgers, as we used to say, the babies that are going to be adopted, all that workload. I ask a question for the discussion, postnatal care in a, in a ward, or are we better if there is no problems to actually go home from birthing units and labor? 
and what? To a family and to peers and to community, which is historically what has happened. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about family inclusive care. So we have the nice guidelines, don't we? Um, we're, we're fortunate to have um, an independent health service that looks at the evidence. I know SIGN do um, guidelines in Scotland, mm -hmm. and I know Australia do look at some of our guidelines, but they don't actually have a specific health authority independent that actually does look at the evidence. And they do recommend routine postnatal care for women and babies, and they say should receive eight weeks after the birth. And that involves the organisation and the delivery of identifying common problems that Elizabeth has discussed, but more serious problems, but also how to help parents form strong relationships with their babies and recommendations on emotional attachment and baby feeding. This is um, one of the mums that I cared for um, in Australia. And look at the kangaroo care. Look at, again, that important moment of mother and baby, they shouldn't be separated. And I will discuss that because this has happened during this COVID pandemic. So postnatal care in high resource countries, and this is one of the families that um, I had the honor to meet and to discuss um, their plans and the care that they were going to have postnatally. And this is in the Emirates. This is in Rashal Kema. And I put that up because look, look at the proud, look at the joy of that baby, the new status that I was talking about early. Um, however, in high resource countries, as Elizabeth said, it's often referred to as the Cinderella of maternity services or the poor cousin. And ideally, sometimes people really uh, refer it sometimes to as the fourth, fourth trimester, the postnatal care. However, we do know that many mothers do not feel supported, they're disappointed with the care particularly when they've had intervention, an instrumental or a caesarean section, do feel less satisfied with their postnatal care. We also know that women from what we call, and I, I've got this term when I first went to Australia, called backgrounds. And I like this. Um, it covers everyone, all cultures, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds are at increased risk of physical and mental health problems. We need to start listening and looking at mother's experiences because this needs to be considered when we are actually planning postnatal care services. I put this up because I do have and I'm doing a lot of research at the moment in maternal mental health. We know the evidence is there. Approximately one in seven women will have a mental health problem during the childbirth continuum. We know women who already have mental health problems are at increased risk during pregnancy. We know that it is a continuum, is mental health. So prior to being pregnant, it's approximately 5% for anxiety and depression in women. This does increase to about 8 to 6%, the evidence shows. And then again, to 13%, in the year following birth. So that leads me on to what does the future hold? What can we do to provide the best postnatal care possible? And yes, there is a lot of women disappointed, but there is a lot of women and families that are very happy with their postnatal care. As you can see this young family in Brazil, when I was in Sao Paulo, 
that actually had a wonderful experience and they had particularly the care of the family. So I just want to mention the sustainable development goals. I know I think there is about 69 in total, but I want us to focus on goal three, good health and well-being. It's a tall order by 2013, we're 2022 now. So just than less than nine years, they want to reduce the global maternal mortality ratio to less than 70 per 100,000 births and also end preventable deaths in newborns and children under five. And the countries are aiming to reduce ne neonatal mortality 12 per thousand by 2030. I think that needs a discussion. It needs striving for, but will we, will we make that? It may be that we have some further development goals with different time periods. So what can midwives do? I'm coming from a midwife's perspective because I've been a midwife most of my career. We do need to raise the awareness of the importance of maternal health and well-being. And I have wrote a lot about this. And I want you to focus on the parity of esteem concept. Now, the first person to bring this up and it drew my attention was Norman Lamb when he was the shadow health minister. And then Lucinda Berger took it on in Liverpool when she was a, a Labour MP there. And then I took it on with my son, um, Scott Steen, who's a psychologist. And basically it's equal weighting for physical health and mental health. And often with the medicalization of childbirth, this is not the case. We need to focus on maternal and family inclusive care. I have done a lot of work uh, with Duncan Fisher and other international researchers and educators. And there's a link on this slide, which is familyincluded.com. And if you look this up, there is a lot of good studies that have been summarized. And most of them are in low and middle class, middle developing countries, which shocked me. Where's, where is it happening in the high developing countries? We really have to focus on local community involvement. Yes, I saw that um, Marion Knight mentioned about all the professionals working together. It's not just professionals, it's everyone. It's everyone's responsibility. And we really have to look at community involvement, befriending and supporting women. A really good project in Northern Ireland, the community mothers demonstrated this. Who is the mother and family going to listen to? The health professional? Who they're going to be influenced by? Or their family? We have to look at this. And that means that we need to work better with what we call NGOs, your non-government organisations, or you might refer to them as the third sector charities in the UK. Community engagement is vital. And if you do not take anything else from my presentation tonight, remember this. It takes a village to bring a child up. And sometimes in the capitalist consumer Western world, we have forgotten this. However, I do have to mention the impact of COVID-19. Modified healthcare globally. And we are up against all health services. So there has been restrictive practices in maternity care that Elizabeth mentioned. And this has affected women's decisions and choices. They have been limited. We have to learn lessons here. 
There has been an increase in medicalization, though, uh, yes, a knee-jerk reaction. And there has actually been reported now the European Centre of Disease Prevention and Control in 2020, there's been an increase in cesarean section in some countries. There's also been reports about babies being separated from mothers. And we have to question this and why and the evidence to support this. Yes, we need a balance with, like you said, safety, effectiveness, what um, Elizabeth mentioned, but it's that nurturing and that care. And it all is stems from continuity of care. Postnatal care is part of the childbirth continuum. And we need to engage with fathers, families and communities. So I draw your attention to the NMC standards of proficiency for midwives 2019. And I've had to come back and update myself with this. Continuum of care, it's knitted throughout, isn't it? However, there is a change, there is a shift, because you remember throughout um, the last few decades, it has really been focused on clinical risk. We're risk averse. So we need to address this, and it has. There's no talk of women being high risk or low risk. It's more around universal care. All women are vulnerable, but some have disadvantages. And it is based on the Lancet series and also the framework for quality maternity and newborn health. So it does say the care for all women and additional care for women and newborn infants with complications. And I would recommend that you do read it. I will be reading it uh, as being an educator and a researcher, but I have had a look through um, and I think it's more positive. Now, I want to draw your attention to the State of the World's Midwifery 2021 report. Um, mm, remember the 2030 um, development goals, sustainable development goals? Well, this is what we're up against. Sexual reproductive, maternal, neonatal and allied health workforce in 194 countries of the world. It is estimated that there is 1.1 million workers short. Guess what? Highest shortage? Midwives. 900,000. Therefore, there is urgent investment into education and training. If we're short of midwives, who's going to educate them? We need educators to train and educate midwives. Management. How are we going to lower it? I've got many friends in midwifery management and they are struggling too. Regulation, the working environment, our leadership and governance also really needs looking at and service delivery. We know that midwives with support from others because we cannot do it alone could deliver 90% of the sexual, reproductive, maternal, neonatal and allied health interventions. Yet, at the moment, currently, we actually deliver 10%. We're 10% representative of this workforce. And this lack of work to meet the demands for 2030. And then to top it off with that COVID-19 pandemic, have we not? That has reduced the health workforce and it does need to be prioritized. And we have had, as with other health professionals, some midwives that have lost their lives throughout the world and it's and it, this report is dedicated to the health workers that have lost their lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
So this is my last slide, the future. And I was trying to remember when I did this, um, and it was, I was at Chester University then, I'd just left Leeds, St. James's, and we did a big campaign for more midwives. So it had been in about 2009. I just want to quote the NMC proficiency standards. Evidence shows the positive contribution midwives make to the short and long-term health and well-being of women, newborn, infants, and families. We have to, we're not very good at campaigning, but we have to have a voice. We have to start, I've noticed lately, I saw in um, the Houses of Parliament that some midwives, some MPs were starting to take up this. We've seen that, I've seen it in Australia too. And we have to do it. We, we, yes, we educate and train to nurture and care, but we have to actually look at this. We have to look at media. I'm not really with the social media, but I'm having to think, well, yes, this is the way we are communicating if we're going to have to make a difference. Postnatal care is part of the continuum. Yes, there is problems. There's always been issues, but there are things. And I want to just quote what my mother once said to me when I was a young girl. Out of small acorns, big oak trees grow. Oak tree is an English tree, actually. It's one of the four. Ash, beech, elm and oak. I remember learning that um, at school. So we can make the difference and we have to start somewhere. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And we'll hopefully take some questions now. Okay, thank you so much. Well, both Mary and Elizabeth, thank you so much. That was really like a whistle whistle stop tour from both of you but I'm, I'm very aware that Elizabeth has to to be rushing um so if I could just I mean I think you you were talking about something about um in in the context of what you were talking about Elizabeth I mean what's in my mind at the moment having listened to both of you is the, the and, and Mary was talking about the campaigning and being really politically aware and I think that's very much where the user groups such as the NCT can, can work with midwives and, and families as well. But I just wondered if you wanted to say anything about leadership within this con the context of postnatal care before we let you run away. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. I would, I just feel it's, it's kind of trying to stand back from the way that um, the maternity journey for women is managed. And during from from the beginning of their pregnancy being confirmed or the booking um, uh, appointment that they have uh, right through till after the birth, as I understand it, but correct me if I'm wrong, a woman has a lead professional who is in charge of her care. For most women, a midwife, sometimes she, she may have a very complicated time and, and she needs to have um, uh, a medical specialist who's involved and maybe the lead professional. What staggers me is that for those six to eight weeks, which are the minimum amount of, of postnatal care needed, as Mary said, it often is considerably longer than that, but that is essentially the better births maternity policy said, we'll go through to the six to eight week uh, maternal check in primary care. But during that time, often the most vulnerable for women, um, high number of deaths, unfortunately neonatal deaths as well. Between that birth and those six weeks, women can often get care from 
four different institutions. It could easily be the hospital midwives, sometimes community midwives from a different trust if they've moved out of area for whatever reason, health visitors who come through the local authority and are commissioned in a completely different way, uh, and their GP working in a practice which, again, has a contract with the NHS, but they're not, they all come from different backgrounds and have different appointment systems and their computer systems don't necessarily talk to each other. And that's why we have this awful fragmentation where we know, for example, from Embrace reports that where a woman has died a preventable death, it's because she's fallen through one of those gaps. There is no safety net and the safety net needs leadership and accountability. And I feel, you know, there, there are midwives who will lead on midwifery, postnatal care and health visitors and so on. But there isn't someone who leads that care through that really quite short period of six weeks. And the woman has to navigate it um, w with a newborn baby. It's uh, pretty scary, actually. It is very scary. And yeah. why does it happen? Just get some leadership with proper accountability in there. Make sure that care is coordinated and those gaps that women fall through are tied up and made one seamless journey for new mums, please. And I think that's that would be our aim. And I'm, I think with continuity of care being addressed, that's possibly one of the, the kind of magic bricks in your palace I personally I think hope. continuity is as important, if not more so, in postnatal, yeah, because absolutely. there are so many questions and um, just, as I said in the presentation, just not knowing what is normal. Mm. And sometimes that can be really, really quick to solve. Mm. But if it isn't there, it expands into anxiety and worry and doing the wrong thing or feeling she's doing the wrong thing and guilt and um you know that adding to the mental health troubles and sometimes uh physical clinical problems arising and that's a beautiful challenge you've laid down for us elizabeth thank you so much yeah, go and do it. <laughs> a bit of leadership we do have a couple of questions that have come in and they're probably more focused at mary mm -hmm. um because someone who is Martha, hi Martha, is saying, I wanted to ask regarding the ratio of midwives to postnatal care, in postnatal care. And I th I'm not sure if Mary will know the exact answer to this one. No, because it will vary. But I do know on postnatal wards, often uh, when I'm speaking to midwives, there may be one or two on, say, a late shift. Um, there might be uh, a little bit better staffed on the wards, some midwives complain that they might after if labour ward is busy or uh, that they might have to transfer and do care. Mm. Community midwives may have to come in. Um, at the moment, um, no, um, it will vary from trust to trust. If you're talking about the United Kingdom mm. um, with actual postnatal care. So that's why I question because I were a community midwife for 16 years in Leeds and often many of my women because I was caseload holding would come home straight away from labour ward or birth on there and have the continuity care that Elizabeth talked about you saw that slide where I did my first home birth in 1986 well a lot of you here and you'll remember Sue we used to actually go 
and there was no evidence to support it, but we used to go in for the first three days twice a day. Twice a day, yes. In the morning and the afternoon, and then daily up to day 10, and then, you know, and 28, yeah, then selective postnatal care came in. Mm. Um, And it is, that is supposed to be person-centred care, what you're talking about, Elizabeth. But there is a shortage of midwives, and it will go... um, into the labour ward and the antenatal and you're right maybe you know it needs equal weighting does the postnatal care but Mm. a lot of the antenatal care and yes we're caring for the mother but had it become because of the assessments that we do and the clinical risks more focused on the developing baby than the mother the way the systems were working And that we have to go back that the mother is at the core of the care Mm. and it is the continuum. Mm. Postnatal care has to be part of the continuity of care. Mm. Yes, you're right, there is fragmentations. So we need to address how we're doing it. Do we need a lot, you know, going to a postnatal care? In the Sunday Times this week when a woman says that she was left and she didn't even have a drink of water. I'm a researcher. Are we doing more harm than good? I would ask you as a researcher. Mm. Therefore, would she be better off at home? I know when I I went home at six hours after my babies, and do you know why? Because I wanted to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> I wanted, and I'm from Leeds, I wanted to go home and have a nice cup of tea when I wanted <laughs> a cup of tea. There's something to be said for that, actually. So that, that sort of that's really well answered. Thank you so much. I hope that I'm really sorry, but I think I am going to have to say I think you will have to goodbye to everybody. Thank you so much. But audience, see, see you be all again assured soon. that we're going to have Elizabeth back. And thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. Been thank fantastic. you for asking me. I'm bringing the palace. <laughs> and hope the comedy is good. <laughs> okay, we have a, a couple of questions. Rebecca Smith. Uh, has a very good question and says, do you have any advice for a student midwife who's passionate about postnatal care and would like to be involved in policy making? How about that one, Mary? Yeah, in policy making, um, I think, well, obviously, like you said, Sue, um, the professional organisations, there is the RCM, isn't there? They always did have a student representative, yeah. didn't they, that did all the policies when we worked there um there um actually you know um I'm just thinking when I said put up that last slide midwives matter and campaigning I don't know I've got a feel I've got something feeling coming on here Sue that we could do something you know around policies I mean we have we're very lucky in England to have a chief midwife we are we are extremely lucky. lucky and I know in Australia they are trying for it yeah. Um, so again, if you really want to get in touch with policies and everything, you've got a chief midwife. Um, she's very approachable. Yes. Couldn't she? You could yes. actually contact her. Well, and go and go and have a, a day shadowing. I know that mm. uh, some some see it actually because I know how busy Jackie Dunkley Bent is, mm. but she does have a team, and there's lots of senior midwives. It would be very happy, Rebecca, to have someone shadowing them and learn a little bit more about the policy. But on the smaller scale, you can get involved locally um, when there's a policy being developed. And, and now is a very good time because a lot of units are looking at their policies as nice 
publish, for example, the postnatal guidelines, trusts will be looking at their guidelines and will be very interested in people being involved. And if they're not interested, you have to put yourself forward and ask questions. You see, Mary, that's how Mary started. Ask questions always, always. So thank you for that. I'm going to got a comment from Gemma. It's a, a comment more than a question. Gemma Proctor. Hi, Gemma. Um, it's nice to see you again. I would like to say more balanced shifts. If anything, more staff at night in hospitals. Also less of a drop in ratio from labour ward to postnatal ward. And I think actually that's a good point, um, Gemma, because and I think that's really what um, Mary was saying, because often and I think this is the kind of illustration of the sort of um, lower in interest in postnatal care. Antenatal and labour ward tend to pull most staff because that's where the focus tends to be. But you're right, we need more. And that's, I think, what we said this evening, actually, from the start. And we have another comment from Jessica O'Keefe. And she's saying having continuity for a mum who may be experienced issues not only gives them a safe space with someone familiar, but also not constantly having to explain the issue to someone new at every visit, which could be exhausting itself. Jessica, that's a fantastic point. And I hope you'll listen in in a couple of weeks to the continuity session, because I think that's one of the really key things about continuity and how as a midwife and, and Mary I know would agree it's lovely to work in that way so you really you don't have to ask all the questions either but I'm going to do one final question uh we've got a Jill Phillips says great presentation and she's talking about having some whose shoes workshops coming on in Midlands which are great which are very good and that's uh, women and families are falling through gaps so I, I think those whose shoes workshops are fantastic. So thank you, Jill, for that. I've got one question I'm going to throw out um, Jen, from Jenny Hall. I don't know if I'll I know say Jenny. This Jenny. I know you know Jenny. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> and she says, I come from a time where post cesarean section or difficult birth, women would stay for seven to ten days. Oh, don't you remember that? Mary, you remember? Well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> now they go enough. home at forty-eight hours. Do yeah. we know the rates of readmissions and problems after early discharge? Well, Elizabeth said four point four percent thought with the cesarean sections, didn't she? And there was an increase in mm. infection. But it's funny. I've just been to London because um, my friend got married at St Paul's, and um, she is a midwife as well and I was walking from King's Cross and I saw the old hospitals in London and it still had lying in yeah in the stone in written in the stone yeah, yeah, yeah. and I thought oh wow and do you remember because they would be laying lying. into the 10 days however yeah. we did more harm than good again if you remember that's because true. that's when women got deep vein thrombosis because they weren't moving around and being active um, but I just found it really interesting when I passed the hospital and it still has lying in hospital mm. in the stonework. That's great, isn't it? That was a moment so, as well. <laughs> it was a bit of a moment. Now I'm going it was to, a moment. <laughs> I'm going to, um, we've had so many people making comments really and, and Marla Marjoria says, how about getting grandparents on board? That's perfect. Yeah. See what you've started now, Mary. I it's family, this... family inclusive, isn't it? 
it's the, the family, day, the society, and Mary's really sad, and it's been so good. And I'm, I do apologise for the technical issues that have marred the so having quite as much time as we would normally have. But I thank both Mary and Elizabeth for their patience and so their passion that they've been sharing this evening. And both of them, now I have them in my toils, they'll be back. They will be back. Now, is it Arnold Schwarzenegger that says, I'll be back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the Terminator. <laughs> but not terminating, doing wonderful things, much things. better. So mm. just to let you remind you, the resources are available on the website and the, um, the whole presentation will be available to you after that. If you haven't booked for the 1st of March London um, Festival, do book in as soon as you can. Next week, we're going to be looking at perinatal mental health. So it's a nice little, little follow-on from this week. Um, but in the meantime, please do stay safe. Take care of yourselves and, and all the people you love. Give them an extra hug tonight, if you can. And we'll see you next week. Same place, same time. Take care. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.